Let's get right to it. In this moment, the, the title of my sermon is There is More to the Story. And I want to encourage you right now. Why don't you type that out on the chat if you're watching online? Why don't you type it there? Why don't you write it down in your notebook? Why don't you shout it out the window to your neighbors? There is more to the story. If you're alone, just encourage yourself with it because I'd even say, why don't you take a photo of yourself watching this and post it on your Instagram story and tell people, hashtag there is more to the story. And no, it's not some conspiracy theory, but we believe the world and our hearts need to be reminded again and again of the goodness of the gospel, that Though we are locked down, we're not locked out and the best is yet to come. So I want to say, why don't you lean in right now, type in the chat, there is more to the story. The best way I can illustrate this is uh, like any self-respecting millennial, I've been spending a bit of time on Instagram in the evenings, flicking through the Instagram stories that people post in the day. And uh, I know I've been watching a whole lot of my friends who've got young children or children around the ages of, of my kids. I'm married to a beautiful lady called Fiona. We've got two kids, Olivia Grace, who's three, and Benjamin Asher, who turns one in a couple of weeks' time. But uh, as I look through these stories, I, I, we get little snippets of people's everyday life. And we see the cute, the cuddly, the, the kids say the darndest things type moments. And we're like, oh, so sweet. And we comment and we like and we love it. And we love seeing these perfectly curated families doing their things online. But I want, to, I want to call you a bluff. I want to pull the, 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 the curtain away and say, actually, I know that actually you've edited and you've cropped out all the befores and after of that story. There's no tears. There's no tantrums. There's no dirty nappies making it into the into Instagram stories. There's no parents pulling their hairs out, hair out as they are trying to coach their kids and teach them and become homeschool teachers in this moment. There's no anxious moments. There's no fearful moments. None of that makes into the Instagram story. We only put the best, the brightest, with the right filter and at just at the right length of time so that we can get the maximum amount of likes and applause. Nothing wrong with it. No judgment there. I do it as well. But here's the thing. I know that if, we were, if the camera was left to roll a little bit longer and we were to see the full extent, there's more to the story. And at this juncture, I want to say and put this hope deep in our hearts. And I want to say it up front because the stats say people give us our best, their best attention at the beginning of a sermon. So I want to not waste this moment by telling you that the heart of God right now in this moment, no matter where you find yourself, is that actually you might think that your story is ground to a halt. You think your life, your situation, your circumstance, your finances, your relationships, your emotions have become into be confined to a four wall, wall jurisdiction right now. And you're worried, you're concerned. I want to say, sir, ma'am, look at me in this moment. There is more to the story. What you think is, is a full stop, I want to tell you in the hands of God is just a comma. It's just a brief pause before God's intervention in your life and in my life. Because why, how do I know this? We serve a God of the comeback. That's who He is. He's a God who, who, who specializes in comebacks. You Don't just take me at my word. Why don't you just go look at Scripture and ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego after their episode in a fiery furnace when God came through as the fourth man in the fire. Just when they thought it was too late, just when they thought it was too far gone, there was no hope, He came through for them. Just ask Daniel in the lion's den when God wired the mouths of lions tightly shut. Just ask Lazarus as he was preparing for death, as he was being dead in two for four days until he heard a voice, the voice of Jesus calling him, Lazarus, come forth. Why don't you just ask him? Why don't you just ask the disciples who watched their Lord and Savior Jesus crucified on the Friday and yet a few days later were enjoying fish and chips on the beach with him. We serve a God of the comeback. And we say it often that actually if you're not dead, you're not done. 
I want to say even this moment, maybe you, you've convinced yourself that maybe your story is dead. Maybe you say, my, my relationships are dead in the water. My finances are dead. This, I don't know how to move forward from this. My options are dead. I want to say this in this moment. We serve a God who raises the dead. And I love the fact that actually this moment right now, I can preach to my own soul that needs to hear this news, that Jesus ruined every funeral he attended, including his own. We serve a God who raises the dead. There's more to the story. Come on, somebody. This is good news. Why don't you say so in the chat if you agree and believe it for your own heart today. But as we get into this series, we're preaching called, Are You Crazy? We've been reading short snippets of texts out of Hebrews 11. And there's one verse that has captured my imagination like no other has. And it's Hebrews 11 verse 20. And it says this, it says, By one act of faith, by one act of faith, Isaac reached, or other translations say Isaac stretched, or other translations still say Isaac leant into the future and blessed his sons Jacob and Esau. By one act of faith, he reached, he stretched, he leant and blessed his sons. I love that scripture because as I read it, I realize that faith is not some esoteric, ethereal thing, a high in the sky reality, but no, it is flesh and blood and his faith is a posture. And by faith, Isaac, by one act of faith, and I want to say right now, it's not a, a, maybe you don't have a great track record. Maybe you don't have a great pedigree of faith. But in this moment, in one act of faith, you can change your narrative. You can change the story that has been told to you. And I, and I love how he says, by one act of faith, he leant into the future. Now hear me right now. The, sp the spirit of fear, and yes, I'm calling it the spirit of fear, just as the Bible does, because fear is a demonic spirit. It's not just an emotion, it's a demonic stronghold that will hold you back. And fear has this canny way of getting us to lean into our circumstances or to lean into our apprehensions or to lean in our anxieties or lean and reach and stretch into our overdraft, lean and stretch into our addictions. Fear will get us to do things that we normally wouldn't do. And that's what the spirit of fear will do. It'll get us to lean away from the promises of God and it'll call us to something different. But that's why at this time, wherever you're watching from, I want to tell you, we are called to shift our weight, shift our weight from the posture of fear, the posture of anxiety, the posture of apathy, and actually the posture of faith is reaching, stretching, and leaning into the future that God has. And as that scripture tells us, it says, by faith, Isaac reached into the future and blessed his sons. And I love that when he says he blessed his sons, it tells me clearly that actually the decisions we're making in the here and now have effects and ramifications on the generations to come. We always say it as clear as this, that the decisions you're making by faith or by fear are going to affect those who are yet to come in more ways than we know. And we get this responsibility. We get this privilege, people of God, to make a different decision. And I want to charge you, shift your weights because there's more to the story. So, as we look at this line, Hebrews 11, 20, it sounds beautiful. It sounds lovely and it's curated. It sounds like an Instagram story, if one will. It's just this beautiful 30-second clip of a beautiful stanza that's been put together nicely. And you go, wow, how lovely. Perfect filter, looking great. But if you know your Bible, you know that the story of Isaac and Jacob and Esau, there's a whole lot more to the story. So I'm going to take us to flick all the way back to Genesis Genesis chapter 27, if you've got your Bible, you would, might want to reference that as we go along in this conversation this, in this morning or this evening or wherever you're watching it. But as we do that, why don't we take a moment to pray and ask God to speak like never before. 
Father, we come as your sons and daughters, your prized possessions, the ones that you love, the people that you have not taken your eye off of. And right now I pray with a conviction in my spirit that's burning, with a passion for you, Jesus, and a deep love for your people. I pray, would you silence the spirit of fear? Would you silence the spirit of addiction? Would you silence the voices that have been speaking and calling us to different responses? And right now, Father God, would you posture your people in faith? Would you stir our hearts to respond to a different narrative, to a different story? And Father God, as faith starts to rise up in your people, I thank you, Father, that generations to come will start to stir awake because the people of God are choosing a different story. I thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, Genesis chapter 27, we are introduced uh, to a family of four. And you can start reading their stories if you want their, their origin story. It starts in chapter 25, where we meet this incredible couple called Isaac and Rebecca. And uh, they have twins, Esau and Jacob. And uh, as we introduce to this family, I don't know about you, but maybe you've been reading the Bible before and you get to a portion of scripture where you read it and you go, wow, it feels like God is speaking to me. It just seems like the, the words jumping out off the page is coming straight to your heart. Maybe you haven't had that before, but I had that recently as I read this text because it starts to describe Esau in a profound way. It says this, the Bible says Esau was red and hairy. Come on, I, 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 don't, I don't have to go even further. This, I, as I read that, I was like, God, you're speaking to me. And I was ready. I said, God, tell me what else. Tell me what else about this man because I could see myself in this character uh, Esau. And the similarities didn't stop there with red and hairy. We're told that Esau was like an A-type male. He was a jock. He had muscles rippling. I mean, come on, this is me here and now. This is it, you know. He was the bear grills of his family. And I'm like, come on, this is the guy that I, I, I love. And as, as I started to ponder it and think about what was the possible backstories of this guy, we read in the text that his dad favored Esau much more than Jacob. So I can imagine Esau was the, the poster child of the family. He succeeded at school, just had straight A's, made all the first teams. He was head boy. He graduated with just incredible results. He went to university, the, the high top university of the day, and, and just made his family proud. He was, his portrait was front and center in the family. He was good looking. Uh, need I say more? You, if you want to picture somebody, this may, might be helpful <laughs> in this moment. But, but I can imagine that. And, and he played semi-professional rugby. But just before he cracked the highest level, he gave it up and went and and graduated as, as a doctor so he could go and help on the front lines. You know, he was that type of guy, just a beautiful specimen of a male. On the other hand, when we meet Jacob, Esau's younger twin brother, we find that he was the complete opposite and the antithesis of Esau. If Esau was dad's lad, Jacob was mommy's boy in every sense of the word. He moisturized. He probably was more familiar with the contestants of Bachelor SA than he was of episodes of Tiger King on Netflix. And he probably would never have been caught dead in the DIY aisle of Builder's Warehouse on a Saturday. What's more, he was just playing bad with girls. Esau, a ladies' man. Jacob, on the other hand, not so good. So how do I know that? As you keep reading in the story, you'll find a narrative where he goes to meet his wife. And as he's uh, Rachel, as he's watching her from a distance, he's hiding behind a rock. And when he sees her, he runs out to her without saying a word. He kisses her and then starts to cry. Now, let me tell you, I've tried it. The strategy doesn't work. So this, this one's just for free for you there. 
But, but as we keep understanding and peeling back the layers of this, these two characters, we also realize Jacob was deceitful, a con artist, and was desperate for his dad's affections that his dad held reservedly for his older brother Esau. And that's where we come to the crux of the story. The, the more in the story in Genesis chapter 27, we meet Isaac who's on his deathbed. He's, he's going blind. He's old and he knows his days are few. And he calls Esau in, the hunter, the A-type male, and says, Esau, I, I want to give you the blessing of the father. But before I do that, I need you to go out. I need you to kill an animal, put it on the bride, put the Robertson spices like only you know how to do. Do it perfectly just the way I know, like it and bring it to me as my final meal. And then I want to bless you. And uh, when we hear that word in our culture, I want to bless you, it might not mean much to you. But in that culture, the firstborn blessing that a father would hand down to the firstborn son before he passed away was of the utmost importance. It was called the primogeniture, the blessing of the firstborn. And, and what did that mean? Why would that Esau would get so excited about this moment? The firstborn blessing would hold three key elements to it. Number one, when you got blessed as the firstborn from your father, you, that blessing would carry with it the leadership and headship of the family. So from that moment onwards, you would be the authority, the authoritative voice for your family. Secondly, you would get a double portion of inheritance where everyone else would just get the single inheritance. So it'd always be two for Esau, one for everyone else. Two for Esau, one for everyone else. And thirdly, and significantly for this family in particular, you would get a spiritual blessing. You'll get the blessing that was handed down from Abraham, from God himself, down to Isaac. And Isaac was going to transpose uh, that blessing onto Esau, the firstborn, that was going to carry it on for generations to come. So in, in an essence, Isaac was saying, Esau, I'm going to bless you with, with spiritual, emotional, and financial blessing in this moment. And I don't know about you, but I could do with a little bit of that right now. I could do with a little bit of emotional and spiritual and financial blessing. I don't know. Maybe I'm speaking to someone out there. But as he does this and paints the scenario, he saw ducks off to go and prepare the meal and get it ready for his father. But we find in the story that the mom, Rebecca, was listening in at the door. And when she heard this play out, she ran over to Jacob and said, Jacob, I know you've been longing for the blessing of your father for many years. And actually by a cruel hand twist of fate, you were just a few seconds behind your brother. Why should you miss out on this blessing? So she said, Jacob, I've got a strategy for you. I need you to go put on your brother's jacket, put on his cologne, go fetch two goats. I'll make a stew just like Esau makes it so that your dad won't know the difference. And then we'll take the goat skin and put it on your, your hairless arms and on your clean shaven face so that your, your features will resemble those of your brother. Your dad, he's, he's, near, he's going blind and he won't be able to tell the difference and then he'll bless you and you'll get it. Jacob, a wily character, was a little bit nervous at this moment. So he turned to his mom and said, Mom, I'm a bit nervous because actually it's not just blessing that's on the table here. If I get caught, I'll not just not get blessed, I'll get cursed. And I don't want that on my life. So Rebecca says these profound words. She said, let the, if that happens, let the curse fall on me. And that gave assurance to Jacob. So he went and did what his mom said. He put on the clothes, he, he put on the skin, and he went and got the meal that his mom cooked. And he rushed in to meet his father. And his father was quite amazed, saying, you're back already? And he said to his son, he says to in this narrative, the narrative goes, and I paraphrase, he says, he says, Esau, is that you? To which Jacob obviously had to drop his voice a, a, a tone down and had to make sure that he sounded like his brother and said, yes, dad, it's me. His father was... Uh, 
maybe a bit old, maybe losing it a little bit and near death's door, but he still could tell the difference between his boys' voices. So in his head, he imagined, he thought to himself, that sounds like Jacob. But before he could voice those opinions, he said, if that's you, then come close to me. Let me feel you. And Jacob comes to his father dressed up as his older brother Esau. His father starts to feel him. And his father's fears are, are put aside for the moment because as he feels him, he goes, yeah, it sounds like Jacob, but that definitely is Esau. That is my boy Esau. So then he says, okay, bring me the meal. And as Jacob says, yes, dad, I'm going to bring you the meal. All of a sudden, the dad is a bit confused again. He says, wait a minute, that, that sounds like Jacob. I, I, I may be losing it, but that definitely sounds like Jacob. But before he again, he could voice these, these fears and concerns, he starts to taste the stew that's presented to him. And again, he's, he, the fears are put aside as he goes, you know what, it, it sounds like Jacob, but I know that stew. That has got Esau all over it. I know the way my boy cooks his stews. That is Esau's cooking. Come on, yep, that sounds like Jacob, but that's Esau. Then a third time, he says, all right, boy, I want to bless you. Come forward. And, and Jacob says, yes, yes, I, I, I want to receive the blessing. And again, the father's like, that sounds like Jacob. But just as he's about to say something and confront this, the boy in this moment, he catches a whiff of the cologne, the cologne that smells uh, like the outdoors. And he goes, ah, that sounds like Jacob, but I know that that is definitely Esau's, Esau's smell. So he put the all together and says, okay, it must be Esau. And in that moment, he then places hands on his boy and he blesses him with the firstborn blessing that was meant for Esau. And that was given to Jacob, the crookster. The, the villain in the piece, the one that actually has no reality for us to, no ability for us to ex follow his example. But the blessing goes on him. And like a great story we told in the Bible that Jacob leaves with that blessing. And as he leaves, just hot on his heel, Esau comes in. Esau is there with a meal and says, Dad, I'm back. And all of a sudden the dad starts to fear and goes, what do you mean you're back? I've, I've, just, I've just spoken to you. I've just given you the blessing. To which Esau starts to cry out aloud and say, no, no, you haven't. You haven't given me the blessing. Who did you give the blessing to? And it's not making sense. And there's fears and there's anxiety in the moment as, as Esau realized that his moment has passed. And he says, dad, please, would you bless me? To which the dad, Isaac, says in this moment, says, I, I would love to do it, but I can't, son. The crook got the blessing, but the blessing stands. I don't know about you, but what a bizarre story. As I read that story to myself, I start to think, what am I supposed to learn out of this story? What's the moral? And I want to say there's actually, on the first glimpse of it, there's no outstanding moral for us. There's no redeeming character. All of them are flawed. None of them are really to be followed as an example of faith. It's just, it's a, it's a, it's a story that puts days of our lives and Grey's Anatomy to shame. But I love to say, as I said at the beginning of this piece today, there's more to the story. So, we don't stop there. There's not a full stop there. We keep reading the story. We follow the lives of Jacob and Esau and this incredible family all the way through the book of Genesis. And we rise, arrive in a, in a passage in Exodus chapter 3 when we're introduced to a character named Moses. And Moses is there and we meet him. If you know his story, it starts off with him as the prince of Egypt. But when we meet him in, in chapter 3, he's been running for his life and been spending 40 years at the back end of a desert tending sheep for his father-in-law, working a dead-end job, working away from his purpose, working away from his people, feeling so far from his, uh, the plans that God had for him. He's feeling that actually everything has fallen flat on the heap. 40 years, put six or seven weeks in lockdown to shame. I tell you, 40 years is a long time and Moses is at the very bottom of his faith in that moment. And it's there in that place that God meets him. 
a burning bush and God interrupts Moses' story and a voice comes out of the bush says, Moses, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. Moses does and comes forward to, to see who is he meeting with. And here's something amazing. God starts to speak to Moses. And this is the first time in scripture that God introduces himself in a specific fashion. God says, Moses, this is who I am. I am the God of Abraham. And I can imagine Moses, who's well-versed in his nation's history, he would have gone, yes, the God of Abraham has met me. The, the, the man Abraham, who is the father of our faith, the man who responded to God in faith, that was credited to him as righteousness, the God who heard God and obeyed. Yes, the God of Abraham, I need that God in my story. And God paused and said again, and I am the God of Isaac. And to which I can imagine Moses would have gone, yes, Isaac, I need that God. Isaac was the son of promise, the, the miracle child, the one that came to Abraham and, and Sarah in their old age, the one who showed us that God was a God who kept his promise, the one who dug the wells. That is the God. Yes, we, I, I need the God of Isaac. But God hadn't finished. God then said next, I am the God of Jacob. Now, this name, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it might be familiar to you and I. It's definitely familiar to Jewish homes around our world to this day. That's how they know who God is. That is how God introduced himself. And they say, we serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But can just for a second, think about it from Moses' perspective for the first time. He would have heard that and he would have gone, Jacob, the trickster, the con artist, the one who stole the blessing, the one who caused chaos in the family and so, so, so discord and, and pushed the, two, the tribes apart. That one, Jacob, you're the God of that guy. And even so, actually God should have, he had changed Jacob's name by this stage to Israel. So in reality, he should have introduced himself, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. But God doesn't do that. He says, I'm the God of Jacob. And why does he do that? I wanna say, wherever you're watching this from, with such confidence and gratitude in my heart, that God knew in that moment, Moses did not need a God who would meet him in his strength, but rather God who would meet him in his weakness. Saying, Moses, if I can be a God of Jacob, I can be a God of you in your 40 years in the desert with no resources and no ability to work your way back to the palace. I am the God of the con artist. I am the God of the broken. I am the God of the wicked. I am the God of the sinful. I am the God of Jacob. And Moses, I am your God too. For Moses, who thought his life had ground to a complete halt, there was more to the story. And as I kept reading, I realized that this whole narrative is just reminding me of another father and son we find in Scripture. The Father God and His Son Jesus. And we told clearly in Scripture that Jesus in the book of Colossians is the firstborn among all creation. In the book of John, we're told that He's the only begotten Son of the Father. In Hebrews, we're told that Jesus is our older brother. And ultimately, we told again in Colossians that He is the firstborn from among the dead. And the father was besotted with Jesus. He was besotted with him all the way through. Jesus said, my father, my father, my father, all the way through his life here on earth, infuriating the religious by calling God my father until the moment he was crucified on the cross when all he could cry out was my God. Because in that moment, Jesus, the firstborn, became the curse so that we, the secondborns, the illegitimates, the crooks, the villains in the peace, those who have no future on our own, we can get the full blessing of heaven. This is amazing. Jesus, our true and better Rebecca, the curse fell on him. You see, Jesus dressed up like us, so that us, the secondborns, could be clothed like him. 
Come on, this is the good news of the gospel. So good that when the enemy comes and he will come because he is called the accuser of the brethren, that all he does is accuse us night and day. And when he comes into your story that may look like it's ground to halt, may look like it's got no future, may look like it's got no death to it, may feel anxious and rebellious and nervous and broken. And you don't know what the forward momentum looks like. And you're saying, is there more to my story? The enemy will come and will accuse you and will say to the father, Father, you can't bless him. God, you can't bless him because you don't know what he's done. He's promiscuous. He's an adulterer. She's a, she's a crook. She's a liar. These people, you don't know what they've done. You don't know. You haven't seen the internet history. You can't bless them. He says, you don't know what they've done. You can't bless them. You don't know what they've done to others. They're abusive. They're angry. They let down people. They don't keep their word. They are not, they're not good employees. They are, they're, they're rebellious at the core. You don't even know what they're thinking, God. You can't bless these people because even their thoughts betray them. They are angry. They're murderous. They hate their brother. They're jealous. You can't bless these people. To which the father will say, yep, that sounds like a sinner. That sounds like a sinner, but let me feel them. And as he feels us, he'll say, that sounds like a sinner, but this feels like my firstborn son. The enemy will start to get furious and, and start to again come with accusations to which the father will say, yeah, 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 that sounds like a sinner, but let me taste. Mm, that tastes like the blood of the lamb. The enemy again will come and say, no, no, but you can't, but he'll stop him short and say, no, no, that sounds like a sinner, but let me smell that smells like redemption and forgiveness because this is the good news of the gospel. We get what we don't deserve because He took what we deserve. That is the good news of the gospel. And look at me right now in this moment. There's more to the story. There's always more to the story when the Father is involved because as He writes the story, we realize that actually He is writing every single piece of our story, no matter the limitations. You might say right now, I'm disqualified. I don't know how to move forward. What do I do? And I want to say, sir, man, your future is not in your pledges, your promises, your plans, your ability to make something happen, your hustle. No, your, your position determines your progress. Are you positioned in Christ? Have you secured yourself in His blessing alone and say, Father, I don't deserve it, but I'm going to stay and hold on to you alone. I'm speaking to a whole lot of Moseses, I think, in this moment. Moseses who are watching, people who think they, they are disqualified, people who are going, I feel like I'm at the furthest place I am for my calling. Maybe you've even given up your calling. You've put that on the back burner because you're just trying to make it through these next few weeks, months. Maybe anxiety is so knocking at your door, you don't know how to move. Maybe you just numbed yourself to the voice of God and you, you haven't heard Him for days. You, you've allowed conspiracy theory and, 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 and anger and addictions and, and frustration to rule your world. I want to say right now, I'm speaking to a whole lot of you. He is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of you and the God of me. And He says, actually, I want to come and bless you in the story because there's more to the story. How do we respond? I believe there's two things, twofold. Just like God said to Moses at that burning bush, as he introduced himself, he said, Moses, take off your shoes. I think you and I need to take off our shoes. Maybe physically, if that helps you, but I, I believe at a spiritual level, we need to take off some things. We need to stop dressing up sin and calling it something else. Stop calling what we're doing our sin excuses. Stop calling them just the season we're in. Stop watering down our convictions because this is circumstantial for us. No, no, let's take them off and say, actually, we're not going to make excuses anymore. We're taking those off and we're going to come and worship Him. 
come to Him because He is God. Take it off. But in the second breath, put on Christ. Put on Christ. Refer, refuse to wear any other robes. Refuse to wear any other identity. Refuse to wear any other label at this time except that of Christ Himself. No, no other frame but Christ alone. While we pray in this moment, I believe the Spirit of the living God is wanting to come and remove spirits of fear. This is spiritual warfare. I believe as the Word of God is preached into your home, as you respond in, 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 in faith, fear can leave you. I believe the spirit of anxiety can leave you. The, fear of, the spirit of depression, the spirit, spirit of addictions can fall off in this moment as you re refuse to pick them up again and say, I'm coming to this God because there's more to the story. I'm not allowing that, that sin, not allowing that fear, not allowing that excuse to, to define my story. That is not the full stop of my story. There's a comma, there's a pause. There is more because He is writing my story. He is defining the blood of Jesus, still speaking, still washing, still providing a future if we allow Him to. So why don't you lean in with faith, open your hands and let's do war at this moment and allow the voice of our older brother to speak on our behalf. Heavenly Father, I pray for my friends and my family watching this scattered all across the city of Cape Town and potentially around the world at this moment. I pray, Spirit of the living God, you are not bound by a place, you're not bound by circumstance, you're not bound by time or even by the lens of a camera. So I say, Spirit of the living God, come and meet your people. Encounter your people like never before. As the gospel has been preached today about the good news of Jesus, your word tells us the signs and wonders follow the preaching of the word. So I say, be free, sons and daughters. Be free of that rejection. Be free of that brokenness. Be free of that pride. Be free of that addiction. Let addiction and the spirit of fear fall off us right now as chains falling off Sunday's orders. I pray God, Spirit of the living God, would people take off their shoes to come and worship You. And secondly, Father, I come right now as they are derobe themselves of the, the voice of the past, the voice of the enemy, the voice of disqualification. I pray You come and clothe us in Your righteousness. You clothe us in Your nature. And you say, the old is gone, the new has come. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. So I thank you, Father God, as we take off and then we put on. I thank you, Father, we can come and worship with you with boldness and confidence. And you have promised us that you will do it again. What you've done in the past, you will do it again. Though we feel that we may be done, you say actually your story is just beginning. I thank you, Father God, we come to a God who says there is more to the story. There is more to the story. And that's for you, for me, because you are the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And because of that, we can come to you with faith today.